Many of you will recognize these stories and outlines because as I ask you for your prayers for the next four days, I'm asking you to pray at 8 o'clock each night for the next four nights as I stand behind a platform and preach to a group of youth. And I'm going to give you the very outlines of those old sermons I'll be preaching. So if you hadn't figured it out, I'm not asking you for prayers for these four sermons that I'll preach. I'm also asking you to consider these sermons and their outlines. I won't be preaching them in entirety, all four sermons and all the church said, Amen. I'm not asking only for your prayers. I'm asking you to consider these sermons, sermons most of us in here have heard, but not only are we going to pray for them for the next four nights, we want to consider them in our lives this very morning. So you pray for, but yet consider as I step up tonight, and I simply open with a story, some of you will remember it, when I tell about the man that had two issues, went to the psychiatrist, told the psychiatrist, I've got two issues. Psychiatrist tells this man, one issue at a time. And so the man says, I think, I believe I'm a Pepsi-Cola dispensing machine. So the psychiatrist lays him on the couch, pulls every book off the shelf as arsenal to try to convince the man he's not a Pepsi-Cola dispensing machine. He's got absolutely nowhere, so at the end of his rope, the psychiatrist reaches in his pocket, pulls out two quarters, 50 cents, shoves them in the man's mouth, shakes him till he swallows them, and he said, now, sir, give me a Pepsi-Cola. The man began to cry. He said, Doc, that's my second problem. I'm out of order. Now at 8 o'clock tonight, I will open with that story, and I'll simply say to the youth, We are always wanting God to bless our lives, bless our nations. But according to James in chapter 1 and verse 25, our life has to be in order with God's holy, inspired, infallible Word, or it won't be blessed. See if that's what you get out of this verse. It says, He who looks in the perfect law of liberty, that's the Bible, and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. Listen to this. This one will be blessed in what he does. So he's telling us, you get your life in order, and you've got my blessings. So I will share with them tonight the first thing that you've got to do to get your life in order. There's got to be a birth. I will simply refer to John chapter 3 and tell him, unless a man be born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And then I will tell of my experience of being born again, not on a church pew, but in the seat of an OMAC truck. And then I will ask them, have you done the first thing to get your life in order? Have you experienced the spiritual birth. Have you been born again? I want you to pray for me tonight, but I want you to stop right now and consider, have you been born again? Have you taken the first step to get your life in order for God to bless you? It's been very well said, according to John chapter 3, you can be born once, die twice, or you can be born twice, die once. 
And if you don't understand that, Brother Dave, myself, and some of these leaders would love to explain that to you before you leave here today. But you must, if you want your life in order, experience the birth by being born again. But you pray for, and then my second point tonight will be after the birth, you got to have a baptism. Now, it's clear that you don't have to be baptized to go to heaven, but you do have to be born again. But we're talking about getting the blessings of Almighty God in our life. And when I say you must be baptized, I'm talking about doing things in order. See, when Peter was preaching on the day of Pentecost, the people were cut to the heart, and they said, what must we do? He said, repent, there's your birth. And be baptized, every one of you, for the remission of sins. I will refer to Acts chapter 8 about the Ethiopian eunuch who was at a church service, a religious man, and he was leaving to go home and he opened up the prophet Isaiah. And as he opened up the prophet Isaiah, God moved on Philip's heart to run down the chariot and speak to this Ethiopian eunuch who was a religious man. And so Philip does just that. He's reading the prophet Isaiah. And the Bible tells us that Philip began to preach Jesus out of the book of Isaiah. Brother Dave has been preaching to you on Wednesday nights, Jesus in the book of the Bible. Do you know you can open any of the 66 books of the Bible and preach Jesus? So Philip is preaching Jesus out of the book of Isaiah. And then the chariot comes by some water and the Ethiopian eunuch sees that water and he says, What hinders me from baptism? And Philip says, you must believe there's that birth, and then you can be baptized. The Ethiopian eunuch said, I believe with all my heart on the Lord Jesus Christ. Philip instructs the chariot, whoa, whoa, whoa. They get out of the chariot, walk down into the water, and Philip baptizes after being born again, the Ethiopian eunuch. And I will simply share with them, consider your baptism, and is it on the right side of your conversion? Is it after your birth? Because if you've been baptized as a kid and that's what you're holding on to escape hell and make heaven, that's not going to happen. And if you've been baptized without being born again, you've simply been dunked and washed in the water. And the best I can tell, water will not do nothing to wash away your sins because it's the precious blood of Christ, according to 1 John 1, 7, that washes away your sins. So if you want your life in order, there's got to be, first of all, a birth, followed with a baptism, and then there are three tonight, you pray for me, I'll have them consider their boldness. Would you consider your boldness in the faith this morning? See, the proverb writer in chapter 28 and verse 1 says, The wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous, the born-again, baptized believers of God, listen to this, the righteous are as bold as lions. Paul had to tell young Timothy, God did not give you a spirit of fear, of timidity. His name was Timothy, not timidity. He wasn't to be timid, but God gave him a spirit of love and power and of a sound mind. And it seems to me if we want the blessings of God, we better not just be born again, better not just be baptized, we better be bold in our faith. And I'm going to challenge that youth to be bold to speak up and share their faith to a lost and dying world. And all God's people ought to be saying, Amen. Are you bold? Consider. Pray for me tonight, but consider your birth, your baptism, your boldness. But then I'll share with them, if you want the blessings of God, I wish you could escape this fourth point, but you can't. 
It's the bustings. Because the Hebrew writer said, For whom the Lord loves, He chastens. What son is there who does not receive chastening from their father? You know, along the way, we're not perfect children. Does anybody know you're not a perfect child of God? So when we get out of line, God the Father chastises us. And He does that to bring us back where we need to be. He wants to bless us. That's why He busts us. Do you got that? And so I will tell them, God is going to chase him and going to bust you so he can bless you. So tonight, I'm just going to simply stand and preach. You pray for it, but would you consider, is your life in order to receive the blessings of God? Because the only way you're going to get them is to look in this, the perfect law of liberty, and not just hear it, but be a doer of the work. And then, guess what? Whatever he does, he will be blessed. You want the blessings of God, you've got to get your life in order. You pray for me tonight as I preach that, but consider that in your life this morning. Is your life in order to receive the blessings of Almighty God? And then tomorrow night, you'll be praying about 8 o'clock. I'll take the platform and I'll simply stand up there and share the story about the two dads that was arguing. Many of you remember that story. You know what they was arguing over? No, I don't remember. Rob, tell me. I'm glad you'll let me tell you again. They was arguing. Did you kids know that your dads argue over stuff like this? These two dads was arguing who had the dumbest son. And so they was really arguing. And one dad says, I'm just going to prove to you I've got the dumbest son in the world. He says, son, come here. And the son comes here and he pulls out a crisp $5 bill. And he hands it to his son. He said, now go downtown get me a brand new Cadillac. Boy takes off. Dad turns to the other dad and said, I told you I got the dumbest son in the world. He said, oh, no, you're not convinced me. Watch this. He called his son to himself. Son comes up here. He said, son, run home. See if I'm there. Oh, boy took off. Meanwhile, back in town, the two boys run on to one another. They begin to argue. You guessed it. Who had the dumbest dad in the world? Oh, I've got the dumbest dad in the world. I'll tell you what my dad done. He gave me $5, told me to come down here and buy him a brand new Cadillac. (laughs) He's dumb. He didn't even tell me what color he wanted. (laughs) Oh, no, I would argue that my dad be dumber because he called me to himself a while ago and told me to run home and see if he's there. And he said, I'm telling you, there was a phone right next to him. He could have called and found out if he was home. I will simply tell that story to make the point that their camp pastor, Rob Pierce, is not the sharpest pencil in the package. But he wants to just give them a message on the Christian life and how praiseworthy it is. I'll simply tell them while you're praying and have them consider, as I would have you consider this outline this morning, the Christian life is free. I'll give them Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8 and 9, that it's for by grace that you're saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a, say it with me, gift of God. It's a gift of God. I will simply then tell them Romans chapter 6 and verse 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the, here it is again, the gift, of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. I will simply tell them the Christian life is free, but I'll simply tell them although it's free, it still has to be accepted. 
And I will take them back to my trucking days. And some of you remember the common denominator game. And you've heard me tell the story. K95.5 FM, it was on every morning, the common denominator game. They would simply just list three words on the radio, pow, pow, pow. And if you know what those three words had in common, you'd be the first caller and you'd win a prize. This particular morning, I knew the answer to several of those. I'm just, I'm pretty sharp. And I knew the answer to several of those, but I could never be the caller. I'd dial it, 430-9595, and I mean I'd keep But this particular morning, my wife's talking to me on the phone. And I don't know if you wives always have your 100% attention, your husbands, when you're talking to them. But I'm telling you this morning, Donna had it until the common denominator came, come on. And I'm listening to her with half of this ear. And with the other half of this ear and this ear, I'm listening to the three words. And they said, mountain, football, and pantyhose. I didn't say bye, I didn't say nothing. I hung up on my wife and I began to dial 430-9595 cuz anybody and everybody knows what a mountain and a football and pantyhose has in common. Joe Namath. <laughs> Folks that morning when they answered the phone they said, if you know, I mean, it's on, the, it's on there. They said, sir, if you know what a mountain and a football and pantyhose have in common, you're going to be the winner. I said, easiest one you've had in the four years you've done this. You hike them. A mountain, a football, and pantyhose. And all the bells went off, and I was right. But because my wife had my attention before they said those three words, I didn't even know what I'd won. (laughs) And that lady says, I hope you're an Oklahoma Sooner fan. Mike Taylor, you remember it? Because you just won you two tickets to the Independence Bowl, Bob Stoops' first year, down in Shreveport, Louisiana. Now look here. I answered the questions right. She said, now before you head down to Shreveport, you're going to have to come over to the radio station and pick up your tickets. You listening to me? Now I'd have been a fool to think just because I answered them questions right that I wouldn't have had to went over and pick that ticket up. And I could have went to Shreveport and they'd have let me in by just simply telling them, you hike a football, you hike a mountain, and you hike pantyhose. Wouldn't I have been a nut to think that had got me inside the stadium? Come on, folks. I had to go over there to that station and pick up those tickets. It mattered I answered the question right. I had to pick up the gift, and that's what got me in. I want you to look up here. The Christian life's free. And I fear a bunch of people think they answer the questions right, but they've never received the gift. They've never come forward to acknowledge Jesus Christ publicly so he can acknowledge publicly so he can acknowledge them publicly in that day of judgment. Are you listening to me? Pray for me as I tell them the Christian's life's free, but let them consider 
not just answering the questions right, but accepting the gift. Have you accepted the gift? I'm not asking you if you answered the questions right. Have you accepted the gift? In that sermon, I will move on in the Christian life. It's praiseworthy not only because it's free, but because it's forgiving. And then I will share with them, I'm so glad, even though I'm a child of God, I stumble and I fumble and I fall. But when I do, I can confess my sins to Him who's faithful and just. And He'll forgive me of my sins and cleanse me of all unrighteousness. The Christian life is forgiving. I can remind them that the psalmist in the chapter 103 in the 12th verse said that He will cast our sins as far as the east is from the west. And somebody said, how far is that? And the songwriter said, as far as it is from one nail-scarred hand to the other. I will then simply tell them that the book of Isaiah tells us He will blot out our our, our sins, transgressions, and He will remember them no more. And I will try my best to explain to young people, you'll understand this better when you get married. See, Mike this morning told us that he met his wife on ChristianMingle.com. He said, I don't really call it that. I call it GodStillWorksMiracles.com. And I'm so glad he admitted to that behind the congregation. And I felt like I could admit then where I met Donna. FarmersOnly.com. Folks, it doesn't matter where you met your wife and how you met your wife, but when you marry her, you're going to have to forgive one another, but there's something that we don't have the power to do as a husband and the power to do as a wife, and I promise you this. We can forgive them. Let there be some unfaithfulness and let there be a bad mistake in a marriage. You can forgive them, but I'll tell you what you can't do. You can't forget it. God just told us from Isaiah, I won't only forgive you, I'll forget it. Do you realize how good the Christian life is? If you repent and turn from a sin, He forgives you and He forgets it. So if you've really repented of it and you've really turned from it, And it keeps haunting you and you bring it back up to God. You know what God's saying? What sin? Folks, that's good stuff. And then I'll explain to them, not only does He blot them out and remember them no more, cast them as far as the east is from the west, but the book of Micah, chapter 7, verse 19, says He buries them in the depths of the sea. And then I'll go on and tell them how the Christian life, it's free. It's forgiving. And then I'll tell that youth, and I would have you consider today, the Christian life is full. I'll use John chapter 10 and verse 10 where it says, The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And then I'll simply say, But thank God for the butts in the Bible, because that verse has got a butt in it. The thief, that's the devil, comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But, the letters are read, I have come that you may have life, but not just life, listen to this, more abundantly. And I will challenge those youth, and I would have you consider, and I will challenge you here this morning. You have the Christian life. It cost Jesus His own blood. It was free to you. It's forgiving. He cast your sins as far as the east is from the west. 
Why do you let the devil come in and kill and steal and destroy and just do your best to endure this world when the Bible says you ought to be enjoying this world because he's disarmed the devil and he can't kill and steal and destroy anything that you have in the name of Jesus. Amen. Consider that. And then I will close tomorrow night's sermon on this simple sermon on the Christian life of how not only it's free and not only it's forgiving and not only it's forever, or not only it's full, but it is. I done slipped, didn't I? It's forever. I'll simply use John 3.16 and simply tell him, For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, and whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have what? Everlasting life. That means forever. I will explain what I often explain to you. Forever is the most misused word in the world. Because if it's a traffic jam, we'll tell people we was in that traffic forever. No, not the case. 15, 20 minutes. I was in the doctor's office forever. No, 15, 20 minutes. You with me? But we misuse that word. We say we was there forever. I explained to them, you look up forever in the dictionary, it's going to have one word beside it, eternity. You look up eternity in the dictionary, it's going to have one word beside it, forever. And we need to quit misusing those words. And then I'll just simply explain to them, and I'll explain it to you right here, right now. The world tells you all good things must come to an end. Why well, be preaching at the future stars or Las Vegas stars in Las Vegas a few years ago? Fred Whitfield was standing below me, and he wasn't getting to compete in the NFR because he had aged out. And I made a point of that, him standing below me when I preached to those kids. The Christian life's forever. Kef opens not. Look here right beside me. He's not over there getting ready to rope tonight. He's just out here as a spectator watching. And I remember him looking right up at me and said, But Rob, you know this. All good things must come to an end. Fred Whitfield's roping career come to an end. My roping career come to an end. My basketball career is coming to an end. <laughs> but you look up here and listen. I can go ahead and shout hallelujah, praise the Lord. Because one Tuesday morning, I become a Christian. And that's one thing that's not coming to an end. And all God's people ought to just thank God. Amen. You pray for me and you consider as I preach getting their life in order on tonight. The Christian life tomorrow night. But then I'll step to the platform on Tuesday evening, God willing. And I know it's youth, so I'll probably have to do a little explaining here. You know, one of the hardest things i ever done, I had a big youth group to speak at one. This has been four or five years ago, and I mean, I had a big youth group to preach, and I thought I had a sermon, and I thought I had as good an illustration as anybody in the country. And I said, I'm going to tell you, Jesus is better than MacGyver. And I, I had about 100 youth looking at me, and they started looking at each other going, How many of you folks know MacGyver? Jesus is better than MacGyver. And you people that say, who's MacGyver? Talk to somebody that raised their hand. So, Tuesday night, the Lord willing, I'm going to ask the youth if they know Bear Bryant. Most of us know Bear Bryant. I'll have to explain. He's one of the most winning coaches in college football. And I'll tell the story of how Bear Bryant said his parents would not let him play football. Number one, they owned a farm and they needed the big farm boy at home. 
And number two, they was devout Christians and they thought football was a worldly sport. So football was off limits to Bear Bryant. But one day when he was in eighth grade, he was standing watching the football team at his school practice. The coach looked the big farm boy over and he said, would you like to play football? He said, I'd love to play football. He said, you know anything about football? Bear said, I don't know nothing about football. The coach said, well, i tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to have this young man kick the football down there to that young man. And what I need you to do is when the football leaves that young man's foot, I need you to take off as fast as you can, but not before the football touches that young man down there. But if you can, at the very same time the football touches that young man, you try to kill him. So the football leaves this football player's foot, and Bear Bryant takes off. And the football and Bear Bryant got there at the same time, and the collision was so bad that it said it took about 15 minutes to get them all gathered back up. And Bear Bryant said that was where his football career began. But listen, he tells of how his mama used to pray, Lord, don't let my baby Bear play football. Mamas, listen to this. She made a mistake in her prayer. She put a butt in it. Listen. Lord, don't let my baby bear play football. But if he does, let him win. And win, Bear Bryant did. I'll simply tell that story, and I want you to listen closely to the point I'll make in the sermon I'll preach. I'll tell them victory is no accident. We live a day and time where we hand out precipitation awards. Participation awards. Might as well, in my opinion, be called precipitation awards. It rains on everybody, give them an award. Call it what you want. But we live in a day and time where we think we can just go through the motions and we can have victory. And I'm telling you, that's not what the Bible teaches and that's not how it is. So you pray for when I step behind the pulpit on Tuesday night and preach a message I've entitled, Victory is No Accident. And would you consider that sermon here this morning? And I'm going to share with them, if you're going to be victorious, number one, you better understand the impact of your decisions. I will pull Deuteronomy 30.19 on them, where Moses said, I call heaven and earth today as witnesses against you, and today I set life and death, blessing and cursing before you. Therefore, choose life that you and your descendants may live. See, there's a choice to make there. And your choice will have an impact. And I'm just simply going to share with them some stories in the Bible. And if you don't think your decision has an impact, why don't you talk to Adam and Eve? Their decision to partake of that fruit had an impact, and it was a huge impact. It had them standing at the grave of their son, who their other son murdered, all because of a bad decision. I will then take them to Mount Pisgah, where Moses stood on the top of the mountain, and he saw the promised land, but he didn't get to enter in. Why? It was the impact of a terrible decision. God told him to speak to a rock and he hit the rock and the impact of that decision, bad decision, he got to see the promised land, but he didn't get to go in. I will explain to them a king, a man by the name of David with a heart after God 
How one day he made a bad decision not going and being where he was supposed to be. And one bad decision led to another decision. And because of that adulterous affair, he had a son rape a daughter and a son murder another son. And let me tell you something. I believe David would tell you there's an impact to every decision you make. And I want to explain to the youth that we've got an Oprah Winfrey and a Steve Harvey that tell all of our kids to dream big. You can do anything you want. Dream, dream, dream. Vision, vision, vision. And listen, I agree. You've got to have a dream and you've got to have a vision. But they're telling you young people half the truth. If you want to reach that dream and reach that vision, it will all be dependent upon the decisions you make on the way to reaching that goal, that vision, and that dream. Victory's no accident. And I'll point out to them, and I'll have you consider the impact of your decisions. Think about your decision before you make it. Will it help you reach your goal, or will it keep you from getting to your goal? And then secondly, I'll point out the importance of your duty. Not only the impact of your decision, but victory's no accident. You need to understand the importance of your duty. And then I'll simply just point out Romans chapter 12. It says, For as we have many members in one body, but all members do not have the same function. And then it says, Having gifts different from one another according to the grace that was given to us, then let us use them. See, we're not going to be victorious as a Christian or as a church until we use the gift, the talent that God give us. And I'll do my best to explain to them, you show me a football team that's made up of all quarterbacks, they're not, they're not the team they need to be. Because a team has quarterbacks, receivers, running backs, linemen, they've got offense and defense, and that's the church, folks. And a team that is victorious, people know their spot, they play their spot. And we as a church need to understand victory is no accident. And if we want to be victorious, we got to learn our spot, play our spot. And God will bless that and reward that because victory is no accident. That's what you have to do. And then, I wish I had time to tell it, you might want to come to youth camp Tuesday. Because I will tell them about the one year career of Trey Pierce in football. About him playing football one year, he had no idea what a position was. I begged him to watch at least one football game and let me just kind of teach him something. Nope, I'm just playing football. What position are you playing after a few days of practice? I don't know. Way out there. I thought it was way out there on the end of the bench. Come to find out it was a receiver. Man, they handed out their jerseys that day and he'd come home you know, I can just imagine what it might have been like when they was handing out jerseys down there because everybody was football players. They was football fans. They had them a hero, right? What number you want? Well, I want old Jamel Holloway's number. I want old, uh, I want old uh, Michael Irvin's number. I want old uh, whoever's number. Well, Trey, what number you want? Well, he don't even know a football player. So you know what happened to Trey? He got the last jersey. You know what the last jersey was? It was a misprinted jersey. It had 60 on the front and 40 on the back. <laughs> you know how embarrassing it was when I got the first game and everybody said, we're so glad your boy's playing. It was people I went to school with. Yeah, well, what number's he? 100. <laughs> what do you mean, 100? Well, 
100. He's 60 plus 40. He's 100. I mean, I don't know. My wife had elbowed me. Don't quit telling him. I mean, why do you tell him what number he is? So finally, I just thought the simplest way, he's 60 coming, 40 going. The easiest way to explain what number my son was, he's 60 coming, 40 going. And I can tell you how he was a receiver. He was in the starting lineup, and the first run was a sweep to the right, and he didn't block his guy, and it just infuriated me. He, he was the reason. He didn't block. He was the reason the running back got tackled. And I explained that to him. I chewed on him a little bit. And Donna, she'd say, well, he's just playing for fun. And I'd simply say, if we was playing for fun, we'd get some flags. We'd invite some of his girl classmates over, and we'd have a flag football game in the backyard. Some of them people are serious out there, and he needs to take it serious or he don't need to play. Second game, sweep to the left instead of the right. He's the one out there supposed to be blocking. He don't block. The cornerback just short of kills the running back. I'm just shaking my head. I holler. I cut my hands together from a high row. Block! And after that game, we was in separate vehicles because I'd come late. And my wife, I said, he's going to ride with me. I've done tried to explain it first game, and now I've tried to explain it. She said, just don't be too I said, he's just got to learn to block. So we get in there, and he, I'm trying to explain it to him on the way home. And he says, well, Dad, I'm a receiver, and we ain't threw the ball yet. And I said, I know that. I said, but you got another, you got another part to play, not just catch the ball. you got to block for your running back. I said, you're going to get him killed. How are you going to feel about that when his life is in your hands? You've you got to block the cornerback. I don't even know why I played. I'm going to miss deer season, yada, yada, yada. That's why he has a one-year career. He missed too much deer season that year. Third game, we've yet to throw the football. Adair, Oklahoma. I said, told my wife, I said, I bet we were in the sweep to the left. How do you know that? Because Trey's on the left, and he's not going to block, and they're going to kill the running back. I said, I bet he did. Where did our first play is always a sweep to the left. I, and they're easy to scout. Sure enough, we run a sweep to the left. But there was something different in game three. 40, because I could see his back. He had got up under the shoulder pads of that cornerback, and he drove him plumb into the bench. And when he did, that little old running back from Locust come around untouched about 80 yards for a touchdown. I broke my wife's ribs. I said, finally. That's what I'm trying to tell you. He's just got a block. And I, I, didn't, I wouldn't have cared if they'd won or lost at that point. I'm just so glad we blocked. But we kicked off to them. They was three and out. They kicked off to us. And we're about 67 yards from our goal line. We snapped the ball, and our little quarterback, he wasn't very tall, and he does a three-step back. And I broke some more ribs on my wife. I said, we're throwing a football. We throw the football in two games. and I said, we're throwing the football. And I'm telling you, that quarterback didn't have a clue where he was throwing it. He just watched somebody take three steps back and heave that sucker. And he throwed it straight up. And I watched that ball go up. And I thought, I wonder who's going to be on it. I looked down there, and there's old 60-40. Him and that cornerback, they're fighting, and he outjumps him. 60-40 outjumps Comes down with the ball and scores his first ever Eighth grade touchdown.
And the Holy Spirit spoke to me that day. I hope you're listening. I hope you'll pray for me as I preach it to them, and I hope you'll consider it. He who's faithful in the little things will be given the big things. This made me wonder, Miss Terry, if the head coach didn't go over there after watching that block Trey throwed on that first play. Makes me wonder if he didn't walk over to that offensive coordinator and said, when we get the ball back, you throw a pass to 60-40. He took care of a little issue. Let's go ahead and give him a bigger issue, and let's go ahead and bless him. wonder what had happened to church if we'd all start blocking. wonder what had happened to church if we all start doing the little issues. I wonder if Coach God wouldn't look over at the Holy Spirit and say, Bless them. Bless them. They're doing the little things. They're taking care of the little jobs. Give them some bigger jobs. Bless them. Huh? Victory's no accident. You better understand the impact of your decisions. You better understand the importance of your duty. But on that Tuesday night, I'll finish with three points. And my last point will be to those youth, and I hope you'll pray for me and consider it this morning. Not only the impact of your decisions, the importance of your duty, victory's no accident. You better understand the implication of death. It's appointed for every man wants to die, and then the judgment. I want everybody to look up here. And I'm going to do my best to explain to them. It's easy in football, basketball, to look at the clock and realize what quarter you're in and how much time you got. Now, I want everybody to look up here and don't lose me. Don't quit me. And when I would ask them to consider what quarter they're in when it comes to this thing called life, I'm going to be talking to some kids about 14 to 18. You with me? And let's just say life, we're thinking about 80 years or something like that. And I ask them to consider what quarter are you in? I'm going to say everybody there is going to say, well, that's easy. I'm in the first quarter. Ain't that what you'd probably think? Preacher asked that question. If life's made up of four quarters, like a football game, and you're 20 and under, what quarter are you in? Now let's just consider that right here. So if you're under 20, you're probably saying, first quarter of my life. So if you're between 20 and 40, what quarter are you in? Automatically, we'd say, well, we're probably in the second quarter of our life. And then you come to where your old preacher is. You say, consider that. I'm saying, man, we just come out of halftime. And I'm in the third quarter of my life. If you'd ask me, consider that. That's how we would all play it out. That's how we'd work it out, wouldn't we? And then you get up there about that 60-something, and I'm looking at some of you guys here that's passed that quite a bit, and, and I'm thinking overtime. No, fourth quarter, overtime. Some of you saying, I'm in overtime. I want everybody to look up here and I want you to listen to the point I will make on Tuesday night. We don't have no we don't have no quarters. We don't have no clock. Remember the young boy, Mike Rhodes' son? He choked to death on a piece of bread in the Peg Cemetery at nine years old. That's freaky death. Anybody remember that? Now look up here and listen to me. What if you'd have seen him the day before? What if he'd been at church the day before? 
and said, consider what quarter you're in. You know what somebody said? Somebody would say of that boy, he's not even halfway through the first quarter of his life. But you know what we didn't know? There's a clock ticking away that we can't see. If we'd have seen that Rhodes boy the day before, and we'd have thought he was in half, halfway through the first quarter of his life, you know what? He was in the latter part of the fourth quarter with seconds left. How about a Derek Barnes? First quarter. How about the Brown Whipple kids? First quarter. What are you trying to get at, preacher? I'm trying to get victory as no accident, and it ain't like sports. You don't have quarters, and you don't have a clock, so you better be living your life, and you better be doing all you can do for Jesus because you don't know when the buzzer's going off. And if you want to be victorious, you better get after it. And all God's people ought to be saying amen and amen. So I hope you've considered tonight how to get your life in order. I hope you'll consider the Christian life. I hope you'll consider and pray for victories, no accident. But if they ain't run me off by the fourth night down there, I hope you'll pray for but I hope you consider as I open up with the story and you've all heard it. Man, maybe not all. About that elderly couple laying in bed and the old grandfather clock begins to strike one, two, three. You know what a grandfather clock is? It strikes for every hour. It was late, and they was tossing and turning, and they was both counting in their heads, not saying nothing to one another. That old grandfather clock, they was counting nine, ten, eleven, twelve, and then, bam, that old grandfather clock hit the thirteenth strike. Some of you will figure out in a minute, a clock just strikes twelve. Then they set straight up. Did you say, did you count? Yeah, I counted. Thirteen. And the wife looked at that elderly husband and said, Well, what time is it anyway? He said, I don't know, but it's later than it's ever been before. I'll simply share that story on Wednesday night and tell how people often with the days and times we live in say, Preacher, prophetically speaking, what time is it? And I simply give him the same answer, Miss Bonnie, as that elderly man give his wife. I couldn't tell you other than it's later than it's ever been before. The next thing that's going to happen prophetically, are you ready? I call it Operation Rapture. And by the grace of God and your prayers, I'm going to have them consider Wednesday night, but you consider right now, what it takes to be a rapture-ready people, number one, saved. Titus 2.11 says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. And I will explain to them and have them consider as I will to you right now. It's not just about the grace of God appearing to you that saves you. When the grace of God appears to you, you have to accept that grace. And I'll simply show them in the Bible where there's people that accepted that grace when it appeared, such as the Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus. But I'll also point out there's some that rejected that grace of God when it appeared, such as the rich young ruler and such as Agrippa when Paul stood before him. Are you with me? And I'll simply explain to them, if you want to be a rapture-ready people, you've got to accept the grace of God when it appears to you.
Amen. You've got to be a saved people. And then I'll simply tell them that you've got to be a separated people, and that's twofold according to Titus chapter 2. Number one, you've got to be separated in your holiness because the same grace of God that brings salvation is teaching us to deny ungodliness and worldly lust, and we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. You know what? If we're saved and we're rapture ready, we're to be holy. We're to be separated. Paul said, come out from among them and be separated. And I'm going to share with that youth group that the problem is the church has become so worldly and the world has become so churchy, we can't hardly tell the difference. And they need to be separated. Their conduct and their their talk and their walk needs to be different than those who's lost and undone. They need to be separated in their holiness. And then I'll tell them they need to be separated in their happiness because it says, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, blessed has lots of interpretations and translations in, in the Greek, but the blessed here actually translates happy. Happy. Nobody's smiling. Trenton got it. He, he, by the way, when I'm gone, he's going to be preaching next Sunday. So he, he knows what a smiling face does to the preacher. He just smiled. Look here. I'm going to share with this youth. Won't you guys do something the generation before you and the generation before that didn't do? And that is, why don't you... Let the joy, joy, joy that's down in your heart be shown through your expressions. You say the generation before them and the, folks, I was lost and undone. I had classmates invite me to church. And when I walked into that generation, they were sitting there, pooch mouth. And you've heard me say it, and other preachers say it, they looked like they'd been baptized in vinegar before I got there as a visitor. Their faces looked like they had been weaned, but they hadn't been weaned off milk. They'd been weaned off dill pickles. I'm going to tell you what the generation before was in most churches, cold. Now, you take a guy that's happy-go-lucky. I asked him at Telequil, I asked old Teddy, I said, you know Rob Pierce before he saved? He said, too well. I was happy. I had a good time. And folks, I've done that, headed to hell. And when I'd walk in a church and they're supposedly going to heaven in a way better spot than I am, and they look like they look, I thought their drugs had went bad or something. Are you listening to me say I am? I had no interest in having what they had. I'm going to challenge that youth to enjoy church. And when you walk in the building, don't take the smiles off your faces. Don't remove the joy from your heart. Because there might be some old teenage Rod Pierce walking. And he needed to see some fire. He needed to see some excitement. And he needed to see some joy. Because I'm going to tell you, when I got on the road to heaven... I'm a way happier than I was on the road to hell. Amen. Therefore, we need to be separated in our happiness. And then I'm going to tell them they need to be a serving people. 
I'm going to tell them Jesus gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. I may right there give them the prepositions of salvation. Who was it told me what a preposition was? Kelly. I had some educated teacher trying to tell me what a preposition was at the Founders Day Rodeo. Give me this long definition. I said, I don't have no idea what no preposition is. I don't even know what the definition of preposition means. And you're a preacher? I said, yeah, I'm not a teacher. I don't know what a preposition So Miss Kelly says, it's anything a rabbit can do. Squirrel. It was Ed Hayworth. You live with her. Ed Hayworth walked by and said a rabbit too. That's what that was. So I want you to think about this point. Prepositions for salvation. For by grace. Preposition through faith. Ready for verse 10? We're talking about the prepositions of salvation. It's by grace. It's through faith. Ready for verse 10, Ephesians 2? Unto good works. It's not what people think. Saved, setting, and satisfied. It's put your hands to the plow and your nose to the grind. By grace, through faith, unto good works. If you're going to be rapture ready, you've got to be saved, separated, and serving. And then I will challenge that youth, and I'll have you consider it here this morning. You've got to be a speaking people. Because the last verse of chapter 2 simply says, Speak these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. And now listen to the last word, last sentence of this verse. Let no one despise you. I'm going to challenge that youth not to do what this generation has done. They've listened to our government instead of our God. And when the government says we can't speak the name of Jesus in certain places, God help us. We've listened to the government who my grandpa said couldn't trade nickels and come out even. Instead of listening to a God who loved you enough to send His Son to die, to be buried, and rise again. Folks, I'm not going to listen to anybody that tells me I can't speak the name of my Jesus. That I can't preach this blessed book that has eternal life in it. And I'm going to challenge you. Speak these things. Exhort, rebuke with all authority, and let no one despise you the generation says there's two things we don't talk about huh politics and religion and we're in a mess because of it because we can't have a healthy discussion over politics and you can't even mention religion the world lied to us we ought to have been speaking these things and we ought to have been letting no one despise us you want to be rapture ready you'll be saved you'll be separated you'll be serving and you'll be speaking 
these things with all authority, letting no one despise you. I hope you'll pray for me. Tonight, Monday night, Tuesday night, and Wednesday night, and the days to come past that. But listen, before you pray for me, would you consider what I shared with you this morning? Come on. Are you rapture ready? Come on. Is there victory in your life? Because if there isn't, victory's no accident. You've got to line up, folks. The Christian life, man, that's just the simplicity of that message is we ought to praise Him. It's free, forgiving, full, and forever. And then we want the blessings. Oh, God bless you. God bless you. God bless America. The Word of God says you've got to get some things in order before I'm going to pour your, my blessings out upon you. Consider those this morning. And what do you need to do to line up with us, saith the Word of God? Let's all stand. Our heads are bowed. Our eyes are closed. Father, I just pray for each and every one within the sound of my voice. Father, that they would understand we need to be rapture ready because it's later than it's ever been. We not only need to be saved, we need to be separated, we need to be serving, and we need to be speaking. Father, I pray that Christians would use these altars today because their life's been short of successful, short of victorious, and today they realize victory is no accident. Father, I pray these altars would be full of Christians who realize the Christian life is free, it's forgiving, and they can even confess those sins here today. It's full, and if they're not living an abundant life, it's simply because they've not come to you. And ask you to escort the devil and his schemes out of their lives. They can praise you for this good thing's never going to end. But Father, I pray that Christians would use these altars today to get their life in order. Whether it's a birth that needs to take place. A baptism that needs to be scheduled. A boldness that needs to be shown. Or even if they're getting a busting, it's time to crawl back up in your lap this morning in these altars. Father, have your way in the hearts of us, your people. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you come?